0: sestalo drive through therapy thank you guys so much for joining me tonight on another episode and as always i'm grateful for your support thank you for the continuous shares share them to whoever you think might need this information i'm a big believer that therapy needs to happen for most people nothing nothing has to be wrong with you in order for you to get therapy it is just simply you seeking to understand yourself, your past, how it connects to your behavior today, all of that is worth discovering on your journey so you can elevate the quality of your life. Because if we're acting in an unconscious state, in a subconscious state, uh, most of our actions are going to be, uh, or a lot of our actions will not be within alignment of what we consciously want. So therapy helps us discover what is our unconscious motive, why we're behaving the way we're behaving. And that's what therapy is really for, to expose that, to help us expose that and look at it. And so this way, if we choose to respond differently, then it becomes a choice, and that's always great. So I do recommend this process for everybody. I don't think anybody would um, not benefit from it. I think the majority of people would definitely find it useful if you keep an open mind. But unfortunately, we do have a stigmatized idea of mental health or a therapist. I mean, it's it's probably a joke most of the time when you're like, you need a therapist, or even offensive for some people if you tell somebody they they need a therapist. And a lot of us won't admit that we need the help. But yeah, that's what I'm here to tell you, uh, is that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. On the contrary, it makes us much more aware and awakened and responding less and less on subconscious motives or drives that may not be what we want, that may not be healthy. And that's, like I said, always worth it for me to go through the process. Yeah, just wanted to kind of let you know about that. But speaking about delving into the process, tonight we're talking about reenactment of trauma. Now there are plenty of authors that I could uh, say here that would take credit for talking about reenactment of trauma and to some extent i would even say freud is the daddy of all subconscious work here Uh, and this is definitely subconscious drive so basically what reenactment of trauma is is when we as children may have experienced some sort of trauma it may be emotional physical abuse A combination of both, um, or any way that trauma would be perceived. Because again, it doesn't have to be the physical abuse. It could be something so subtle that you would not think it traumatic because the, the child doesn't know that it's trauma until later. And so at that time there, it's almost normalized. It's normalized. A child learns to habituate to survive the trauma. So they create and develop these different skills to survive it. Now, Interestingly enough, during that time of trauma in childhood, a lot of the times we learn to bond with the person that has harmed us. And it makes sense if it's a caregiver, right? They can neglect us. They can, uh, they can refuse to feed us or beat us or punish us, but they also at times did provide some sort of comfort some sort of stability some sort of food even though if it even though it could be very minimal it, the child still craves that and will hang on to it right and so they will bond through those times we find now as the child ages what's really interesting into adulthood we start seeing that a lot of those children become or reenact part of that trauma in their life. So, what I mean by that is that we will find that a child or an adult at that time, now the, the, the child has aged and, and they're an adult, they start to uh, play out the events, right? This events that had caused hyper arousal, then help them bond with others. So they were more, they're more likely to get into toxic, unbalanced relationships because it's that hyper arousal that would be so familiar. It's the person that has mistreated them, but yet they're also providing them some relief when they make up with them. And so it's kind of the same reenactment of that trauma. If you look a little bit closer, sometimes it's the repetition of the same damn cycle, like the same. If my mom was married to an alcoholic, I'm simply going to repeat the cycle in some form, marrying somebody who's emotionally unavailable. Um, at best, but at worst, it would be an alcoholic or an addict that I still p- p- bond with the same way I bonded, let's say, with my dad. Does that make sense? So it's something that I, I actually think All of us need to look at, at some point, because we cannot escape this. And of course, there's different levels of trauma or what your brain might perceive as trauma, you know? And so, uh, is it likely to show in some sort of dysfunction in adulthood? Yes, it will. Uh, whether it's in our inability maybe to make boundaries with a person that's harming us. So a woman that's being beaten by her husband will justify his behavior, will Will say, you know, well, he's a good provider. I probably made him act out. You know, they'll start thinking in that way to protect the perpetrator, which is what they did before. And that's how they bonded and attached themselves before to the person. So in a lot of ways they say, well, I, I see... I see the good in him, but that's just, in this case, would be really an excuse or excusing justification of the behavior that they're seeing, which they've learned how to do back then in trauma, you know, when they're experiencing the childhood trauma. Um, it makes sense, all of this, I think, if you see it connecting you'll see how this might could apply to you now let's say you don't perceive yourself experiencing trauma that's okay take a look at just relationships that you've had romantic relationships especially see if there's a pattern of behavior in which something dysfunctional is re- is repeating it's so familiar that it's just like why am i doing this ask yourself why am i what's my motive for responding this way or accepting this this uh um, behavior from another person if it's not healthy. And you will find, if we're digging in and we're practicing self-honesty, that there's some work to be done in that area. So, you know, there's a time after you break up with someone, and we always say that we need to heal This is what we need to be doing, especially if we have a habit of picking similar people and we wonder, what the hell? Why am I always getting just bad people? And 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 there is a reason. It's because I have a very interesting way of choosing them. I bond under danger. I bond under the themes of abuse. I bond uh, with toxic themes. That's how I bond with another person. I've learned to bond that way. Sometimes we'll see this and only this as love, that if it's heightened and it's loud and it's uh, aggressive, then it must be love. If there's jealousy and there's control, it must be love. Uh, so we got to look at those messages we got growing up and take a look a little deeper on how we bonded with our caregivers, especially if there's trauma or abuse there you know, if I had an uh, alcoholic mother or a mother that just was not available, right? Um, you know, and I'm always, as a kid, just making excuses for her, trying to get her attention, trying to get her love, not knowing my mom is a mess, right? Not ever admitting it because I didn't, I didn't know any better. That's all. That's what I thought what i thought was normal so that's what parents do you know they might neglect they might do all that and we just learn to justify their behavior for them so we can live with them but as we age sometimes we still pursue the approval of the people that we love even though it might not be mom i might have some kind of resentment towards mom trust me when i tell you this will be transferred towards uh the need for approval and reassurance for love, you know, constantly. It's going to be from a partner, perhaps. You'll see it transfer that way a lot more. We got to take a look. We got to take a look how this seeps into our lives. It doesn't just stop. Uh, It doesn't just handle itself or take care of itself. We need to look deeper at those lessons, especially if they continue to interfere with our life today. That work would be probably best done with a therapist, in-person When I have a stranger talk to me, right, I feel more open. I don't know what it is about this magical thing, but it it just feels like a relief when I have a stranger listening and talking to me uh, and, and getting to see what I don't want to show anybody else. There's a relief that happens as well as an opportunity to get a different way of looking at my life rather than the way I've been looking at it. So that's why I kind of always say, don't keep yourself from this opportunity if you have it, if you have this opportunity. But if let's say you don't have medical insurance or what have you, that's what this podcast is for, is to kind of help you do some of this work, DIY, right? Some of this work with yourself, uh, writing down with honesty or reflecting with honesty about or on your life, about what's happening in your life. And that's, always work that just gives us more depth, more self-awareness and control in a lot of ways because we learn to control ourselves and stop controlling people. Because imagine my imagine my need for approval would make me try to control other people by making them feel guilty by stressing them out because I'm always needing their approval and then of course I open myself up to victimization because if I need that much approval, let's say you know a man or a even a woman of course depending on what what's happening here can use that against me my need for pleasing they can use that against me um. To get whatever they want from me, to get control. So this whole thing is, ends up being toxic. And trust me when I tell you, people actually get together a lot of the times, uh, based on reenacting that trauma. Eventually, the point of reenacting the trauma is to sub- subconsciously, we think that if we can, we've been hurt before by this perpetrator, this new perpetrator, we can somehow as adults control the outcome this time. So we'll get into t- terrible relationships, but this time I'm going to change my partner. I'm going to save him or her. Uh This time I'm going to get the love that I, I want. I'm going to be able to control it or keep it. All of which is just <laughs> repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Because in a lot of ways, as you can already tell, it results in our need to control others and their responses. So we're giving love for the wrong motives. And we are attempting to control the outcome of another person's response, which eventually they're going to catch on to it. And it's not going to feel good. I'm either going to get control from them right back, because if you're trying to control me, well, I'm going to try to control you too. And that leads to, to problems, uh, or just simply it will be used eventually in the wrong way. It's going to get toxic either way because, or they're going to run because they're going to be like, well, I don't want to be controlled. You're too needy. Uh, so I'm, and they're going to, and they're going to run eventually. So it, it just not, doesn't end up the way we want it to want it consciously, you know? So find out, take a look in your life. Where are you repeating cycles of behavior? possibly cycle of a victim and the abuser, a perpetrator and a victim, you know, where are you repeating these ideas, even though they're not straight out? Where are the interaction between two people off balance at minimum? If just check on that, is someone giving more? Is someone receiving less or or giving less uh, than the other person? All of this is worth looking at. If You are not receiving what you want in a relationship, but you're still there, right? If you are experiencing some sort of emotional abuse, and you're still there, and and you're not putting up boundaries, and you're just, ask yourself, what's your motive for doing that? What are you trying, what outcome do you secretly want to have? Another way to say that is, what do you hope would happen? Like, What hope are you resting on and making decisions on? because it is in that hope that there's a an illusion there that eventually hopefully get to a point of disillusionment we want to break down all the illusions that we had about this person that we were with uh you know what we made up about them the narratives we had about this relationship that may not be real that we've been holding on making decisions about justifying the need to keep this relationship going based on hope rather than the evidence the clarity of what has been already shown to you right so we want to in another way to say that is that we've been collecting evidence for years about this person but yet we are living off of this concept of hope, and we think is our motive is just wonderful, but it it is not it is not because eventually we're going to we're going to resent that person we're going to want them to change and keep wanting them to change, and we somehow will make ourselves believe we are stuck in a relationship like we have no other option and um you know because I live in the hope, so in a lot of ways, friends, hope can act very much as a um uh, it, 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 a destructive component uh, it, to our life than what we think it is especially when we have gathered evidence for years to support this person's behavior even predict it right um but yet i don't want to see that because i want to live in the hope of what it could be what th- what this relationship could be one day but i have again no evidence to support that you know Uh, maybe evidence here and there, but it's not sustained. It's not stable. And so what, what is my hope based on? It's a delusion. It's a delusion. So we just, we really want the breakdown of these illusions. We want to become more aware. All this work, my friend, has to be done by most of us, the majority of us. We have to break down these patterns because they won't break themselves down the familiarity and how we choose to love someone and choose to receive love we have a history of that since childhood since our primary caregivers and depending on how that went it really will determine a lot how you interact with love your relationship with giving and receiving love if you have limitations on that if you do not perceive yourself worthy enough, or lovable enough. All those themes would have probably started from childhood, and it would have been just uh, very much supported, unfortunately, by trauma. You know. So, exploring these themes from the past, looking and saying, "Okay, what what cycles am I repeating? What?" Why do, what outcomes or hope that I'm still living in that I'm still wanting to control? I just, I won't let this outcome go. And I just, I will go through the suffering just to make sure that the outcome that I want to happen will happen. Again, it's subconscious need to heal uh, an old wound. But we find out that this really doesn't do much uh, reenacting the trauma doesn't really heal past trauma. It's learning the lessons that come with it. Learning the proper way of loving, right? It's not, I need to make someone love me and, 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 you know, control their behaviors. And yes, I know I'm going to get love. I'm going to finally find someone to love me. Um, that is going to be stable but all of it i'm just i will we'll be getting it the wrong way it will not be as authentic or from a place of uh i don't know better way to say that i don't i don't know what's the best way to say that, but like from a clean motive it'll be all for the wrong wrong reasons distorted reasons yeah uh reasons that maybe for the need to control rather than To really love and bear witness and, and equal reciprocation and allow for the freedom to love, for a person to love me or not love me. They're allowed to, to, uh, to experience either one in my presence. I hope that makes sense, (laughs) but I just really wanted to do the episode that really has been on my mind for a while as on, as I am exploring things within myself, habits and cycles within Myself and in my past, and making connections with them because uh, it never ends. The work on myself really never ends, and I just found this blind spot of reenacting trauma, reenacting intense emotions, uh, expectations, and I'm never. I've never really looked into them as ha- as hard as I'm, I've been doing it these days. You know, an example of that would be my mom. She. Often, uh, she does it a lot less now, but she, she used to often uh, prepare for disappointment, to prepare for a serious problem. So right away, before she even looks, uh, for, her, for her key, for example, like if she, she, she'll automatically say, I lost my keys. I lo- I lost my keys. And 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 before she even looks for them, you know, like she prepares herself for trauma. And I could see that within my mom because she has uh, a history of being disappointed quite often with outcomes and having to expect the worst and to some extent... She, she does that. She'll say, I can't find the keys. And I'm, and I'm like, well, let's, let's look for them before we say that, you know? Uh, but that's just one example. And it's so subtle. She doesn't even recognize that it's really honestly trauma-based. Think about it. You know, everything has to be like the worst case scenario for her. It's like, she has to expect the worst case scenario. Um, you know, if she knows that I have to be somewhere at a certain time for any appointment, she'll often nag over and over again. Like, you need to go, it's, it's almost there. It's, it's almost, you know, two o'clock. It's almost, you know, two, it's 2.30. And she'll do a countdown, uh, because she's so scared. She's so scared of, uh, things going bad. She never, it's never done with ease. Again, we're just replaying or reenacting trauma and for, For my mom, I would say that is a pretty uh, uh, apparent response here. This need for hypervigilance and alertness. It can't be good for too long. Something, we have to prepare for something. And she would wants to get control of what could go bad. So right away, she'll say how things, how I can't find my key as a way to control. Like, hey, I can, I controlled. Oh, that's the thing that went bad. Um, so this way she's not too disappointed, right? If she does lose the key. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this makes sense, but it, it makes sense to me <laughs> when I'm seeing it. I'm like, wow, man, oh man. And I used to do that too, because I used to hear my mom, of course, do it. So I, I, I had the same idea of you prepare for disappointment. It can't be quiet too long. And eventually I try to c- control what I'm going to be disappointed at. So I would come up with reasons to be disappointed or to be hypervigilant or alert or scared or or obsessed you know that's where you see it a lot in the obsessions so yeah yeah take a look at those habits and notice I, I said my mom looking for keys is a reenactment of trauma so don't look for really big things you could even start with little things why do you think the way you think why do you find certain feelings more Uh, I guess, truthful than others. Some people find the guilt to be true. They think, well, if I feel guilty, it must be true. That if I, uh, for example, had to tell my abusive husband to leave my house and I feel guilty about it, you got to reflect on why is guilt why are you so familiar with guilt as being the truth? Where does that come from? Where was guilt being used on you since childhood um, as a way to control your behavior? Because it doesn't come out of nowhere. We have a history with almost every feeling we've got. And so guilt, if you find guilt to be the truth, and if I feel guilt and I'm right away, I'm like, I feel bad and, and it makes me want to do things, right? To, to, because I feel bad, you know, ask yourself, where did you learn that little habit? That's just one example. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope this was helpful to you guys today. It's been something that I've been working on myself and I'm finding a lot of benefit from looking at this business of reenacting trauma. Yeah. And I'm a fan of Freud. I really am. I kind of, um, gotten to like him later on in my career. He wasn't necessarily if he was fun to talk about as in like gossip (laughs) in the beginning of my career, but I didn't understand his value until I had to learn to work with the past and childhood and the subconscious. Then he became much more relevant. Yeah, so I'm bringing a little bit of him today, um, but a little bit of a lot of people, actually. The enactment of trauma wasn't just his idea, or the past working on childhood issues wasn't just his idea, but this has just been reinforced years and years later. So thank you guys so much for joining me tonight. It goes without saying, I'm sending you love and light, and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. I love you guys. This has been an episode of drive-thru.